I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. When it comes to my own mental health, I love to take time to stand and stare in my garden. To be honest, that really means to sit down with a cup of tea because I think it's amazing what you can see when you take the time to really look. Once you've been sat for a few minutes, suddenly the wildlife and the sounds around you change and your perception of them changes. I was out in my garden the other day and I realized that the blue tits were nesting in the box again on my house, which I thought they'd given up. They landed in the crabapple tree and they flew in the box and it was just this most beautiful moment. I just felt part of nature. I felt immersed in it. And suddenly all my human problems, all my human worries just kind of melted away. And I think that is part of the immense value of gardens. They can take you to other places and bring you new experiences. And I know I'm not the only one who's found peace and happiness tending to my plot. Gardening's widely accepted to be good for our well-being, and in more ways than one. A recent King's Fund report found that regular gardening leads to significant decreases in anxiety and depression. And our own RHS research from 2021 has shown that those who garden a little bit every day have higher well-being scores and lower stress levels than those who don't tend the earth at all. So gardening is a win-win for both the land and the soul. As we approach May and the start of Mental Health Awareness Month, we've decided to dedicate an entire episode to well-being and the many ways you can enjoy the sound, sights, smells and experiences of gardening this spring. To start us off, several RHS advisors will be sharing their go-to wellness tips as we enter the thick of the growing season. I find pruning the early flowering shrubs really absorbing. So things like Forsythia, maybe even Philadelphus by now, Ribes. We'll then venture into the world of art and sound. Moya from May Project Gardens explains the link between two seemingly unrelated things, hip-hop and gardening. And then you look at, for example, the 11th principle of permaculture, and that is use edges and value the marginal. That's very connected to hip-hop, you know? And then to close out the show, we'll be taking a journey back to medieval times. We're exploring the ways that monks created gardens that provided both nourishment and promoted general welfare. You just feel instantly calm when you're in a place like that. I think it's just because everything had a place, had a purpose, and just worked like a well-oiled machine. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Gareth Richards. Let's get right to it, shall we? And head to Wisley to check in with our advisory team. 
Hello, I'm James Lawrence, a Principal Horticulture Advisor based at Wisley. And today I'm joined by Nikki Barker, a Senior Advisor. Hi. And by Adrian Thorne, another Horticultural Advisor. Hi there. And today I'd like to discuss with you both how gardening and plants in general can help promote well-being. And then we're going to go on to discuss sort of typical late April and early May jobs around the garden. So let's kick off with what's the one thing, and I'm sure there's more than one, but see if you can focus on one thing that you do in your own gardens that you feel is beneficial for your wellness. Nikki. I love seed sowing. So at this time of year, I sow far too many seeds. I love the smell of compost. I love being in the greenhouse doing it. It's just when they start to germinate at all their different times, all the different seeds, you just know that spring is on its way. Yeah, it's a real good task at this time of year and it never ceases to amaze me. However many years we do it, there's still that magic when the seeds kind of break through the surface. And of course, it's not that long now until we can do other types of propagation as well, like uh, softwood cuttings and things like that. Absolutely. There's lots of plants. I was walking past, I have a euonymus hedge in my front garden and I was thinking just the other day, oh, there's some lovely cutting material starting there. Great stuff. Adrian, what about yourself? What is it that you can do in your garden at the moment for wellness? Well, I'm quite a fan of wildlife and insects, so I like to go out and monitor the wildlife that's coming in, the insects, count them, try to identify them. Quite a fan of taking photos of them. That's really enjoyable. And um, trying to see the wildlife increasing and the nature coming in more, the more I garden, I find is really interesting. Yeah, I've, I don't know about you, but I've got a, it's quite a small, but I've got a small wildlife pond in my garden. And at the mm-hmm. moment, the newts are very active. So it's fascinating watching the newts. There's a lot of bees and flies and insects coming out at the moment, actually. There are. Yeah, indeed. it's a very good time for bees to just start coming out. So having all those plants in the garden that can help attract and sustain those creatures is also really important isn't it plants that attract wildlife often have nice simple flowers i know we do like roses with lots of petals and doubles and you know triples where they're really quite complicated flowers but nice simple plants where the insect can get to the pollen nice and easily are often the best one Umbels like yarrow or achillea are really good because there's loads of flowers in those those big flat heads and the little bees and insects can jump from the small flower to the small flower, expending very little energy. And a few of the nighttime white flowers for moths, they're very worthwhile. You know, scented things like jasmine, etc. They can be really good for bringing in moths in the evening. I think it's really important to try and have different things different flowering at different times of the year as well because we often kind of have this false impression that that we we're just going to have all these flowering things for insects in the summer even uh, common quite common shrubs like mahonia yeah, that flower in really the winter good. are great for insects and pollinators so they brighten up the garden they'll grow in really dense shade as well but they really come into their own for insects over winter when there's not a lot else about often now Trying to focus in a little bit on the kind of time of year, late April and early May. So what kind of jobs might you be looking at doing soon that you find quite therapeutic? Well, I am a bit late this year going through my herbaceous border. So in the next couple of weeks, stuff that I've left with the flower heads on over winter to provide seed for birds, things like sedums, verbena, I will be cutting them down. And I do find that very, very therapeutic because it's tidying everything up for ready for the new growth to come through. 
I find pruning the early flowering shrubs really absorbing. So things like Forsythia, maybe even Philadelphia by now, Ribes, they're bare wood. You know, the leaves are only just starting to come back. So rather than when you prune and trim an evergreen, with an early flowering shrub like that, you have to put in a certain degree of imagination as to how it's going to turn out in the end. And it's quite a thoughtful process, I find, when you're going through that and really quite absorbing. I personally like the, um, I've got quite a collection of ferns and having this time of year, late April and into May, a lot of the ferns are unravelling their new fronds. And so for me, it's a bit like the seed sowing. You get that kind of new growth, that sort of a new beginning. It's like the whole butterfly from the cocoon kind of transformation. And that that really kind of helps for me symbolise that sort of time of year. Now, we obviously get a lot of inquiries from our members at this time of year through various methods online and phone and face-to-face when they come in and see us. But do either of you have, have you received recently any kind of comments from members about maybe certain tasks that they're not looking forward to doing, that they might be kind of loathing almost? I think at this time of year, there's a lot of, should I dig should I not dig? I need to clear my borders. I need to get this plant, particularly with vegetables and maybe things like potatoes. And actually, don't worry about digging. Just pop your organic matter straight on the top and let the worms and other insects do the work. It's it's better for your soil because you're not breaking up the structure of your soil constantly. So it will give you a better soil structure in the long run. As long as you put organic matter on every year, you can use your homemade compost I have to say, I even cheat with my potatoes now and I don't use soil to earth up. I just use my homemade compost and dump it on top of them as they come through. I've embraced lazy gardening. I don't think that's cheating. <laughs> I think that's using using what you've got available. I've had quite a few questions and we all have over the sort of bit earlier about frost damage that's happened earlier in the year and we're still getting some of those come through now. And of course, now is the time where people might get caught out as well, isn't it? Because... All it needs is a few sunny days at the end of April and everyone starts putting tender plants out or taking off protection. So it may vary depending on where you are in the country, but just just be aware of that because that does cause some members and some people anxiety. And you really are looking to be well into May, depending on the plant and, of course, where your garden is in the country before you can guarantee that you're not going to get any overnight frosts. If you have got any particular plants that are very valuable or important to you you know keep them protected until you're sure and that can just be bringing them into a porch overnight it doesn't have to be a lot of bother you don't need to have a heated greenhouse or anything like that just pick them up move them move them into a porch garage just even into the shelter of a wall often is enough great thanks so what about any advice that you can give on how to get a head start now so that gardens can become a bit more relaxing in the summer I would say get out there and do your weeding now. Now that they're just starting to come through and whether that's perennial weeds like bindweed or annual weeds, ephemeral weeds like hairy bittercress, if you catch them now, then they won't seed and then in a few weeks' time, particularly with things like hairy bittercress and groundsel, they produce so many seeds that in two to three weeks you can have hundreds of weeds Whereas if you do your weeding now, you're stopping that flowering seeding cycle. Um, And also, even with perennial weeds, I've found in my own garden, I've got quite a lot of bindweed. 
just keep pulling the tops off as it starts to come through and it becomes very manageable without chemicals, without using weed killer. Now, I'm sure some people will disagree with me, but I will almost go as far as to say some of that weeding, particularly the annual ones that you can pull out quite easily, because of the kind of satisfaction of pulling them out and getting them while they're young, I actually find that rather uh, oh, a kind of relaxing it. thing to do, which some people are, uh, you know, look at me as if I'm mad. But again, I think it's perhaps just that bit of time. It's just you and the weed and it's kind of methodical. I have no interest in weeding whatsoever. <laughs> I appreciate it has to be done, <laughs> but um, it's not something that floats my boat, I'm afraid. I would much rather look towards mulching. I mean, to follow on from your conversation, once it is clean, I would suggest applying a nice mulch of organic matter around your plants and on your beds. That would do a fantastic job of helping to suppress annual weeds. It won't be quite so good with perennial weeds. They'll still come up through. So you know, we've still got to get a, a fork in and dig those out. But it will do an excellent job going into the summer of keeping the moisture in your soil which means that you won't have to water so much and I think it looks quite nice um, I mean you can use any sort of organic matter really homemade compost is the best because that doesn't have to be shipped in so it's got a really low carbon footprint and it's quite good fun making compost actually I quite enjoy it as Nikki was saying about the whole circle of life thing Bark is good as well. You can use wood chipping. Get a nice layer of that on the beds and it will look quite good and set you up for the summer. Great, thanks. The only other the other thing that comes to my mind is perhaps not as interesting as uh, mulching, but there might be jobs that you want to kind of not be doing in the peak summertime when you want to be relaxing and enjoying the garden. So have a look at kind of any maintenance jobs that need to be done you know, before the main season kicks off. I spent the last weekend repainting a fence that hadn't been treated for several years that needed doing and because you know I don't really want to be doing that in July and August when I'm want to be out there enjoying the garden so it might be things like that or repairing a bit of path or something see if you can get those kind of things done you know now before the main summer season kicks off great thank you both very much thank you thank you I know that having a long spring to-do list can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming and there's various ways that I tackle it. One of them is to break up the tasks and not feel that you have to do them all at once. You know, working the way I do and giving out bits of gardening advice year on year, there's so many times when I think, oh, I wish I'd just sown that little row of salads or I'd, I'd just put in that extra packet of flower seeds. So this year I'm putting little notifications on my phone calendar and if I'm feeling really <laughs> really like I need to do something I'm adding it to my kitchen calendar as well but also I think it's really important for us to remind ourselves that you know gardens don't have to be perfect it's very easy to set ourselves these unobtainable goals and think that everything has to be done this year and in this way there was a brilliant book which is quite old now it's published in the late 80s I think called A Gentle Plea for Chaos by Mirabel Osler and that is well worth a read if you feel your to-do list getting a little bit too long and as Adrian mentioned, wildlife in our gardens really does come alive at this time of year. Spring brings with it all sorts of sounds. The arresting cacophony of the dawn chorus, the pitter-patter of April showers, the buzzing of bees and flies, the scurrying of squirrels, badgers and hedgehogs. I love these sounds and they place me in an English garden and they make me feel at home. But what happens when we mix nature with music, when we create new sounds to pair with our garden symphonies? 
at May Project Gardens, a non-profit organization that works to mentor and empower marginalized youth. They do just that. One of their programs is based around hip-hop, something that founder Ian Solomon Kowal says transcends language and cultural backgrounds. Through hip-hop, students explore sustainable gardening, their connection with the earth, the influence nature has on well-being, and much, much more. And so today, Moya, a musician and hip-hop ambassador for May Project Gardens, is here to give us the inside scoop on what we can learn about gardening and well-being through hip-hop. So Hip Hop Garden is a program that engages urban youth with nature and we do that through hip hop. And ultimately we really just want to encourage misrepresented communities, mostly marginalized communities, people from the global majority, to kind of reconnect with nature because we know about the impact that it has when you grow, when you spend time in nature. Another thing that's really interesting is that we've realized that the green sector is one of the least, should I say, racially diverse sectors. And despite people from the global majority, if you look at history, we've been the stewards of the earth for centuries and centuries. You know, you look at the Amazon or you look at the African continent or Asia, people from the global majority have always been the stewards of the earth. However, when it comes to conversations about sustainability, we're not often included. And a lot of migrant communities and asylum seekers and refugee communities, they come here and unfortunately they don't access these spaces. How often do you see people from the global majority in parks or botanical gardens or those type of spaces? But if you were to ask them about their ancestors or their parents or their grandparents, they would often tell you that they all grow. They're all growers. They're all you know, really connected to the earth. So what happens once you come into Europe? What happens when you move into UK? And why do you not feel safe in these spaces? So these are some of the conversations that we have and we try to encourage them to reconnect with the earth, to reconnect to the land, to nature, and to start growing. But all of those experiences are documented through hip hop. Destroying with no shame. We see our planet dying, but tell me who's to blame. I dream of a better place where we can raise our seeds. First, we gotta change, and it starts with you and me. One of the things that we explore in hip hop gardens is the intersections between hip hop and the 12 principles of permaculture. There's actually a lot of similarities, and the more you start looking at nature, the more you start seeing how similar it is to aspects of hip hop culture. Like, for example, one of the grandfathers of hip-hop, Chuck D from Public Enemy, said that hip-hop is the CNN of the ghetto. So it came to really amplify a voice that wasn't being heard, a voice that came from the community that existed in the margins of society. And then you look at, for example, the 11th principle of permaculture, and that is use edges and value the marginal. That's where you have to constantly reimagine stuff you have to be very creative and that's very connected to hip hop, you know? You look at companion planting and this is where you grow specific vegetables or fruits or things next to each other because they support one another. They might give each other nutrients or just support the growth of each other. 
So that is no different to uh, collaborations within hip hop, like a really dope producer and a really dope rapper. And then he's featuring with another dope rapper because they complement each other. So what you see in nature, you also see that in the music. A lot of times when people talk about permaculture, they're talking about permaculture and they're teaching about permaculture from a classroom. But one of the things that Ian really tried to focus on is encouraging people to be outside, be in nature, rather than like speak about it, live it. So it's like a living experience. So when it comes to performing and when it comes to recording, we actually go outside and we're in nature, being inspired, absorbing all of that beauty and like just reflecting on it. If you close your eyes and think, how do you feel when you hear sirens going past you or ambulance? It can make you feel very tense, very anxious and very overwhelmed. It has a really negative impact in comparison to something that's natural, whether it's the bees buzzing or the trees rustling or the wind or the crashing of waves, all of these natural sounds have a really positive impact on your well-being and on your mood. Hence why we encourage people to spend time in nature. So different songs are created in these sessions and they vary. So one song that was created was like, no meat, no blood, no bones. <laughs> and that is about veganism. There's other songs that are created more about their relationship and their yearning to reconnect with the earth. Sometimes people really reflect and start tapping into the memories that they have of family members who used to be growers and they want to write about that. There was a youth group that we worked with in South London and they were talking, <laughs> they were just making songs about different vegetables. And it's like contemporary drill songs, but instead of being about violence or negative things, they were talking about like healthy eating. So a whole bunch of different songs on different topics are created. And it's always super fun to see how creative the participants are in these sessions. I think art, all forms of art, but I can speak specifically about hip hop music is a great tool to connect and teach about permaculture and just nature and environmentalism because hip hop is a universal language. And I feel that it's a really, really good way to engage with young people and you can make it fun and educational and engaging all at once. You look at ancient cultures, a lot of times you would learn stuff through poetry. Why? Because it rhymes, so it makes it easy. So if you're making a song about something and you're rhyming or you're teaching people through music, then it makes it fun. You're appreciating the art form of the music and without you realizing, you're also learning at the same time. Thanks, Moya. You can find out more about the Hip Hop Garden program in our show notes. In the piece, you heard Summer Rain by Moya and Serena Lear, as well as Food Song by Hip Hop Garden students. And now for our final story, we're headed to Wisley's Wellbeing Garden to meet up with RHS advisor Becky Mealy. Becky wrote her horticultural dissertation on monastic gardening, and she's here to share all the ways monks were actually 
kind of ahead of their time. So imagine you've just walked out from prayer and you're going out into the crisp morning air and then you're hit with an absolute sea of green clipped topiary and the sweet smell of blossom, the buzzing of bees and into the vegetable garden you head to do your day's work. So a monk garden, so it's the gardens based around a monastery and each of their gardens had a different feeling and purpose. They're very ordered and if you have a look at different plans of different monasteries, they've got them all in the right places. So the medicine garden would be by the pharmacy. Cloister gardens, if you can imagine a cloister gardens, a lovely square of green with walkways around it. They would often be near places where the monks were doing their writing and what they actually believed, and it's something that's obviously linked in with a lot of our research of late, is that the monks doing the writing work could then look out onto the green and that would refresh their eyes so then they could go back to their work more readily. So even like today we're outside, we're having a nice wander around. This is a refreshing, restorative area and the monks did that and that's how they ordered their gardens around the monastery. They would have areas for contemplation, for silent thought. Often they would have a vow of silence, so they were actually just quietly working in the garden. You just feel instantly calm when you're in a place like that. I think it's just because everything had a place, had a purpose, and just worked like a well-oiled machine. You know, in modern day life, everything's very busy. People are busy all the time. It's nice to have that quiet contemplation while you're just weeding and working in the garden. And this is something that they did in prayer and just, just in thought. So the plants that they used had so many different purposes and meanings. And some of the plants that we would still use today, so fennel is one of the ones that people might remember the taste of from gripe water when you're a child. But this is very much used for stomach upsets and for sore throats and bronchial issues. But also they would chew the seeds of fennel to alleviate hunger. And I have on good authority that Beyonce quite likes to have fennel tea when she's been on the old diet. So, you know, there you go. Still one of these things that's used today. Thyme, thyme's one of those things that I just love the smell of it. But myself, if I've got a cough or a cold, I use thyme oil for reviving this, for steam inhalations. But it actually has a chemical in it that is thymol, and that is used in toothpaste today. And then yarrow. Yarrow's one of these unwelcome plants that occur in our lawns and these were brought over by the romans but they were brought over because they actually congeal blood so they would mash them up and put them as a salve to heal wounds they actually also can be used instead of hops in beer and substitute as beer so if you're making your own beer you might want to think oh actually i can use the yarrow on my lawn if you want to so it's all these bits and bobs that we still use that were from the monks and their learning so monks, in a way, were very forward-thinking about the, how they gardened and how they actually were you know, growing for the community, but they would also be planting for their bees. And so obviously they used their bees for honey and for beeswax, but they would make sure that there was something in their garden in flower majority of the year round, a bit like what we do with our plants for pollinators. 
I think from the monks we can take the organisation and gain every little bit of ounce of gardening out. So you're growing plants that you could use as a herb, but then also a lot of your herbs are great for pollinators. So it's having that dual usage and completely fully utilising the space in your garden. I really quite like the idea of gardeners having one foot in the past and then one foot in the future. So you kind of respecting what's gone and what's happened, but then also looking forward and, and building on that. So I have different areas of my garden set out for different things, like with my vegetable gardens in one part. I very much you know, garden in sync with wildlife. But then also I have my like little experiment areas where I grow something new and try something different. And then also I've got areas that I let grow wild and I can have maybe a bit of a sunbathe and read my book. It's all about utilising your garden to create that nice spiritual place. Thanks there to Becky Mealy. Becky mentioned one of the great benefits of monastic gardens is the quiet. And I really love this. I think there is an enormous kind of solitude to be found in gardening, but solitude in a positive way. We're so bombarded in our modern lives with screen notifications and text messages and WhatsApps and things. You know, gardening is the purest form of escape from that. These quiet times can be enormously restorative. There's even a quiet gardens trust. Now, this is a global network of gardens that provide people of all ages and backgrounds with access to outdoor spaces so they can experience silence and contemplation and prayer. And I really love that idea. I've looked them up and there's even a quiet garden here in Peterborough, you know, the bustling modern city of Peterborough. There's a beautiful quiet garden and I'm really quite tempted to check it out. Well, that's about it for today. This week in the garden, it's perfect time to look out for perennial weeds, things like ground elder, your cooch grass and all of that. They will just be starting into growth. And if you get them now, it's quite easy to pull them out and stop them taking hold. So really check through your flower borders, your strawberry patch, that kind of thing. But before you do that, I think it's a perfect time to take a look at your tools. Now, it's very easy to end up using slightly broken tools or ones that don't fit you. But I think having good tools makes gardening so much easier and so much more enjoyable. So if your tools are a bit broken or you've lost some, go to the garden centre this weekend and find tools that fit you. The season's really getting into gear now and you will make use of them and it will make a big difference to your garden this year. So if you've enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. It's the best way to help us share the love of gardening. That's all for now. So for me, Gareth Richards, goodbye and thanks for listening. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. 
and I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer, or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.